good morning, Berean family. Hope you're all doing well and had a good week. We, uh, uh, looking out in the lobby, I'm just reminded of what is coming. And what is that? Christmas! That's right. I'm one of those guys, I'm like a little kid when it comes to Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas time. Um, speaking of the lobby, if you haven't noticed, we have like a giving fair, options to give uh, this season. And, and what we wanted to do is we didn't want to make a bunch of asks between now and Christmas. We wanted to say, hey, here are some options of things that God is doing in and through Brian and Brianners. So uh, of those out there, we have, of course, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, where you can grab a box today. Uh, and, uh, or we have Child Evangelism Fellowship, where you can contribute to their needs. And then we have something called Project Noel, which is um, um, uh, helps to give gifts to kids who have been touched by addiction. So maybe mom or dad uh, has got issues with addiction. So this is a, a great opportunity. So there's still some kids waiting to be sponsored for Project Noel. So if that's something you're interested in, check that out after the service. Uh, when it comes to Christmas, do you guys remember in elementary school the, some of the crafts you used to make? Do you guys remember these? Yeah? So I made Isaiah, my 15-year-old, come to church with me yesterday, and I'm like, buddy, I've got a job for you. He did a good job. He did a good job. I was a little worried he'd cut his finger off with a little paper slicer, but he didn't, so that was good. It'd be pretty embarrassing if you got injured making a craft when you were 15. But anyways, these things, I remember them well. Um, I'm a little bit surprised I stopped making them in my life, but... Uh, uh, you guys remember what you do with these, right? So this is 25 of these. And then on December 1st, or December 2nd, what do you do? You, take, you rip one off and you take it off and you get closer and closer and closer. And as a little kid, it was awesome watching this thing go from this to this to this, right? You're going, oh, the anticipation's growing. It's getting closer and closer. And uh, it, it's, it seemed like, though, you're waiting forever, as an adult, it's like July comes and then it's Christmas. But as a kid, it was good for us to kind of learn to anticipate and to wait. Waiting is something that um, I'm more well-versed in than I would like to be. Who here can identify with me when I say, I hate waiting? I'll be honest, like, listen, I know, you know, you might be right now in your seat, you know, uh, tempted to pray that God will give me patience. Please don't. Um, but, but uh, usually there's a certain couple things that I'm afraid to pray for, humility and patience, because I'm not sure how those lessons are going to come, right? But we have to learn to wait. Uh, this year, for, for our family, we've been in a season of waiting. Um, uh, Elijah, our 17-year-old, as many of you know, plays junior hockey, and, and uh, the third game of the year, he broke his hand and was going to be out for, he's been out for the last two months. So he's had to learn, you know, he worked so hard in the offseason, he was ready to go, breaks his hand in the third game of the season, and now he has to wait. While he's waiting, his team folded. So then we started going, okay, where is he going to go play? So we start getting all these phone calls and emails and texts from coaches, literally from California, Florida, to Maine, literally all over the country. And trying to wait, wait and, and figure out what is going to be the, and discern what's going to be the right decision and all that. And we ended up, by the way, picking uh, a team in New Jersey. So pray for my Alaskan son who learned to drive in Alaska and Mansfield. He's going to be living 20 miles from Manhattan. <laughs> also, pray for all of the drivers within 20 miles of Manhattan. For real, though, pray for me and Kelly. We're terrified about the whole thing. But, but it's been a season of just waiting. I think the children of Israel, as many as anybody, 
could understand and appreciate what it was like to wait. 400 years in captivity in Egypt, waiting for God to do something. Now granted, all 400 of those years probably weren't terrible, right? But 400 years in a foreign land, waiting for God to deliver them. God delivers them. And then they begin to have these cycles of foreign occupiers coming in and and taking up residence in their space and and taking over control. And then they're waiting for what? They're waiting for a Messiah. Now some of them, unfortunately, are still waiting for the Messiah that has already come. But waiting. And now in our lives, we're waiting for that Messiah's return. We're going through this series right now, Jesus and the Seven Feasts. And it might sound strange talking about the seven feasts of Israel and how it relates to our lives all these years later. But it's amazing how God has orchestrated and put together His Word. It's absolutely remarkable. I think I've said this in every one of the sermons in this series. If you haven't yet read the Bible from cover to cover, do so. Because I believe as you do that, you'll start to see God's history and His plan unfolding before your eyes. And He's this remarkable Creator. And He's this remarkable God. How He used so many different authors over so many different years and generations to write this Word that He has given us that points us to Him. That points us to Jesus. From the Old Testament to the New, so many treasures in there, and it's amazing how they all fit together as one cohesive whole. We're going to be today, we're going to be in a, uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, or Hebrew, the Feast of Shavuot. This is where we're at today in our feast. Um, so we're going to be beginning in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, and today I'm going to be reading verses 15 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. Uh, Or go ahead and open up your Bible app on your phone. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 21. If you're watching online or if you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have the the text on the screen for you. Uh, Before we begin to read, would you join me in prayer? God, I just thank you. What a wonderful way to start a day. But to see a young brother who has made a profession of faith in you be baptized by his father who both loves him and more importantly loves you. God, I'm thankful that I've been able to either witness or be a part of the baptism of all of my kids. And I look forward to the day where that happens with my grandchildren. God, you are good. It's amazing to me that when we're waiting or we're in seasons of stress or seasons of difficulty, If we're able just to pause for a moment and consider your goodness, God, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming how good you are. And God, I'm I'm just again taken aback as a study for this particular sermon and the and the time in your word and 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 listening to your spirit and just seeing how you've worked so many things, how you've worked all things together. You are incredible, God, how you've woven this. God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you will speak through me today. That you will speak through your word today. That you will open up the ears and the hearts of the hearers. And as a result, that we would all take that step closer to you. 
God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 23, verses 15 to 21. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50, day, 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, when you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. Made of two-tenths of an ephah, they shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as firstfruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy uh, to the Lord for the priest. Uh, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generation. So what do we have here? Uh, we'll, we'll call the Feast of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is, it means 50. It's the Greek word. Um, so we have the Feast of Pentecost is what we're uh, studying today. Um, this is 50. Again, it happens on the 50th day after the Feast of first fruits, and I'm going to take just a little bit of time today to talk about the kind of the prophetic um, uh, what what these feasts are pointing to. We're going to review, and we're going to talk about that just just briefly. Uh, this feast is again is tied to the grain harvest. It reminds the children of Israel of God's provision in their lives, uh, among other things that I want to get to in just a moment. Historically, this was a, a pilgrim feast, which means uh, it, it was. Uh, um, the, the, the male Jews, the, the men in the Jewish community, needed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this feast. Uh, this was a big deal. Uh, big enough that they said, oh, wherever you're at in the country, you need to come here to Jerusalem and celebrate this feast together and make these sacrifices. Uh, this was a significant time where Jerusalem would just be packed with people coming to make sacrifice and to celebrate this feast of Pentecost it was, also, it was a holiday, which meant there was no work, no school. Uh, it, was, it was a holy day where they had to set it apart for the Lord, and they weren't to do any of the ordinary work, the text says. Uh, there were sacrifices that were being made that were prescribed by the law. Uh, many sacrifices in, in a broad range. There was drink offerings, there was grain offerings, and then there was animal offerings. Uh, this, was a, this was a significant time um, on the Jewish calendar. Now, prophetically... Uh, as I mentioned before, it's, 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 it's amazing to see how God kind of weaves all of his texts together. And it's a bit like, if you guys like, anybody here like doing puzzles? It's a bit like doing a puzzle, and then when you kind of put that last piece in, and you just kind of look at this thing, and it's like, oh, I see. This is pretty cool how it all works together. Uh, the word is a little bit like that. So prophetically speaking, let's go back to the feast of Passover where we started this series. It was pointing to Jesus as the Lamb of God. It, it speaks to our need for a Savior. And not just any lamb, we go to the next feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was not corrupted by sin. He was a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish. And it speaks to our need, by the way, of, of sanctification, removing the leaven or the sin 
from our lives. Last week we discussed the feast of first fruits. Uh, Jesus, it points to Jesus being the first fruit of the resurrection, and it speaks to our future resurrection. Because Jesus lives, because Jesus defeated death, we too will defeat death and live because of the work of the cross. And now this week we have the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, or Shavuot, uh, believed by many Jews as being the day that God gave Moses uh, the law on Mount Sinai. So this is a significant day. Again, uh, they believe that on this 50th day, after the Feast of First Fruits, that God gave uh, Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, this, the text doesn't say this. So just this historically it's believed about this day, but the text, I want to make that clear, uh, doesn't say that. Um, it's also it's pointing to Jesus' ascension, the coming Holy Spirit, and the forming of the church. So this day, this Feast of Pentecost, is, is, is important to us as Christians and what we believe. Not only was it the day that they celebrated Moses getting the law, but it is the day that we celebrate the birth of the church and the indwelling and the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. This is a significant day, and we should know a thing or two about it. Now, this Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot in, in Hebrew, or, or Pentecost in the Greeks, it, it, remar- it, it marks the beginning of two separate dispensations. Now, I know if you don't go to church very often, uh, dispensation is no word you probably typically use. And I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time about this, but it's still important to note. Uh, there's two dispensations in one feast. Um, by the way, there, there could be multiple dispensations, and there are, but per, uh, pertaining to this particular feast, two dispensations, one feast. Uh, dispensation, if you're wondering, is a, a system of order, government, or organization of a nation, community, etc., especially as existing at a particular time. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Google. Um, that's your definition of dispensation. Biblically speaking, it speaks to the way God interacts with man for a specific period of time. It speaks to how God interacts with man and man interacts with God during a specific period of time. There are at least three distinct dispensations. Um, There are are those who believe that there are many, many, many dispensations throughout Scripture, but there's at least three. And that's what we'll talk about just for a moment. Those are the dispensation of freedom. This happened before the fall of man. uh, Where man was able to walk with God in the garden Remember, Adam was able to commune with God before he sinned. This was the first way that God interacted with man, the dispensation of freedom. Uh, we come back to that at some point in our future, again, because of the work of the cross, that we'll be able to uh, interact with and be around and commune with and spend eternity with God. Dispensation of freedom. Then, we have the, then we're going to move ahead. Some would say that there's a dispensation of the patriarchs, so Abraham and, and, and how God interacted with them through them. But we're going to move ahead to the dispensation of the law. And the dispensation of the law begins with God giving Moses his commandments, if you'd remember that. This is, while we call it the law, this was still God's grace being by defining and communicating his standards for his people. It was God's grace. The law was God's grace by defining and communicating his standards to his people. Now we move forward, and we have the dispensation, what we, cons- we currently live in, the dispensation of grace. Now God's grace by providing the perfect Lamb, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the beginning of the church. We live now on the dispensation of grace. The Feast of Pentecost prophetically bridges 
the second and third dispensation together. Uh, the first was the giving of the law, and the second, the giving of Holy Spirit to the church. Okay? An important day for us. Uh, there were two gifts, uh, two primary gifts that were given on Pentecost. And we're going to move ahead uh, into the New Testament for the majority of the rest of our time together. Um, by the way, I, I know that these feasts are rich, and some of you are historians and you like going to the historical uh, practices of the feast, and, and, and I'm, I'm, these sermons may leave you wanting a little bit. What we're trying to do over these next uh, few weeks and what we've been doing is seeing how God ha- establishes these feasts to cause the children of Israel to remember a significant event, but also points to what he's going to do in Christ Jesus. And I think for us, for the 35 minutes time that I have, uh, this, uh, these aren't three-hour lectures in, in a university. For the 35 minutes or so, some of you laughed when I said 35 minutes. Uh, for the 35 minutes or so that I have every week, I think it's important for us to look at how these feasts point to Jesus and how that interacts with our lives today. Make sense? You have to say yes. I appreciate it. Two gifts that are given to Pentecost, indwelling Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. The first of was the Feast of Pentecost and the coming Holy Spirit. If you would, if you have your Bibles, or again, just check out the screen here, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this sounds like a sci-fi movie a little bit, doesn't it? Can you imagine being there? You're kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. And then this room is just filled with the Holy Spirit and then there are these fiery tongues and coming resting upon people and they start speaking in different languages. Well, first of all, let's look at this. Who is the they? Who, who is in this room? Uh, to find that out, we go back to Acts 1, 13 and 14. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And here's the they. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devo- devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There is your they that was there. Now again, imagine sitting in this upper room on Pentecost. This is a holy day that, that marked the, the giving of the law, that, that caused them to remember uh, the harvest and, and, and God's provision in their lives. It, it would hearken back to the time of God taking them out of uh, bondage from Egypt. Men from all over Israel were coming, and they were, the, Jerusalem is, is just a buzz. Jesus had risen from the dead at this point and now has ascended into heaven. And something amazing begins to happen. I wonder if there was any sound. I think there was, right? Yeah, mighty, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So you have this wind start picking up in the room. And then you have the image of these, these flaming tongues resting on people. Can you imagine being in this room? The reason I bring this up is this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just some far-fetched story. This is a historical account. As a matter of fact, Acts is a book of history. It's the history of the founding and the beginning of the church. This happened with real people. 
who have had a pretty incredible last 50 or 60 days. If you know the biblical account of what had all gone on. Imagine sitting in that room. They were empowered to speak in different languages. Now this tongue that we talk about here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on, on this particular topic in this text. It's not the, the main point of what we're talking about. But this particular use of tongues, we can find in Acts 2, 6-8, through 8, what that was. It says, at this, And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all, those, all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So this is the tongue that is happening. God is giving them utterance, and everybody that's there is able to understand it in their own dialect, in their own language, in their own dialect. That is what's happening in this room. This coming of the Holy Spirit was foretold earlier by Jesus. John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you or bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's also a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is one of those prophecies that isn't already and not yet. As we become closer and closer to the end times, there is a dual fulfillment of this prophecy in Joel of what's going to take place. Another day, another sermon. We have then the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, ministry, the Holy Spirit, God sends them, the, His Holy Spirit into this world. He's still here today. Still indwells His followers. By the way, He still gives us that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, now lives in you and I, is what the Word says. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to teach this is one of the things that he, he does for us, is to teach us the truths in God's Word. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. If you, if you need to learn something, if you feel like you're lost, ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. This is one of the ministries of His Holy Spirit. And one of the benefits of having the whole God's Holy Spirit indwell us. The Holy Spirit also is praying for you. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in a, in a time of prayer and you've kind of gotten stuck and you're like, I don't even know what to say. Is, isn't it good that the indwelling Holy Spirit is speaking on your behalf. I've been there multiple times. God's Holy Spirit also empowers our witness. As we share our faith with others, it's empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now this power that we get from God's Holy Spirit, it's for a specific purpose. It's for a specific purpose. God is empowering us, individuals, and us as the church to be His witnesses in this world. Empowered by God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit also gives good gifts. 
Uh, we, we hear the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, I used to be a children's pastor, so I have to read this to keep from singing it, right? If you've worked in kids' ministry, you can understand that. But he gives us good gifts. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ or if you're just here because somebody uh, invited you, uh, whatever the case may be, tell me which one of these you don't want to have in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God's Holy Spirit gives us good gifts. These are evidences of God's Holy Spirit indwelling us. By the way, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are indwelled with God's Holy Spirit, and upon reflection you realize that you have maybe a deficit or one or two of these fruits of the Spirit, number one, it's you, it's not Him. Number two, pray, trust, and He can give you an increase in those things. If you lack one of these things, go to God. It's part of His will. This is a fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now, don't go tell your spouse which ones they lack. <laughs> Callie, please don't tell me. I know. Take some time of self-reflection. Take some time. And also be thinking about who you were before you knew Christ and how one or more or all of these things have, have grown inside of you. God's gift of the Holy Spirit to His church and to the individual members of the church is a significant gift. And frankly, we don't talk about Holy Spirit God enough. Maybe it's because we have Baptists in our name. I don't know. But God has given us this incredible gift, God, guys. And we get to work and act in the power of His Holy Spirit who indwells us. If we allow Him to he will guide and direct us. He will teach us. He will give us good gifts. He will be praying for us on our behalf, even when we don't know how to pray. God gave us an incredible gift in His Holy Spirit. The other gift given at Pentecost was the birth of the church. The birth of the church. The Feast of Pentecost and the birth of the church. After receiving the Holy Spirit in this upper room, Peter, a guy who has all kinds of flaws that we talk about a lot. It seems like Peter has a tendency to speak too quickly and to say the wrong thing, right? Several times, Jesus rebukes Peter for some sort of action that he had. But one of the things Peter did was Peter continued a trajectory of growth in following Christ. That's one of the ways and we ought to be looking at Peter and going, okay, are we following a trajectory of growth in our lives since we began following Christ? But anyways, after receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in uh, Acts 2, 36-41. Continue to follow along there. He says this, let all, let all the house of Israel therefore, this is at the end of his sermon, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. These 3,000 souls, many of whom were likely there and crying out, Crucify Him! before Jesus was put to death. Now they've seen that they've made a terrible mistake. That this Jesus that they had put to death and crucified had risen from the grave and now has ascended into heaven and sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to empower and indwell His believers. They've witnessed this and realized we have done a terrible thing. Guys, let me tell you this. It wasn't just those who cried crucify Him that crucified Christ. It was every one of our sins that drove the nails into His hands. We may as well have been the people to cry, crucify Him. Because we desperately need a Savior. Because our sin has separated us from God. Both the sin that we were born with and the sin that we continually choose to walk in. Because of those things, we needed God to send His Son to be the perfect sacrifice a male without blemish to die on our behalf it may as well have been us to cry crucify him again the book of acts it's a history book about the forming of the church and as such we learn about how the church was formed and how the church behaved early on and and probably how we ought to behave in a lot of ways today acts 2 42 through 47 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wondered and signs were being done through the apostles. Now I want to stop just for a minute, and we're going to come back to this. I want to read this again. I want to discuss it briefly. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Guys, can I tell you something? We talk about this a lot, but we're going to talk about it a lot more. If we want to see revival in our community, it has to begin in our own hearts. How are we acting as a church and how are we acting as individual members of the church? Are we devoting ourselves to the teaching in the Word and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers? Are we focused on growing and becoming more like Christ and surrendering to Him more and more every day? Or is this just something we do on the weekend? before a ham dinner and time with the family. Let us not be cultural Christians. Let us not be cultural Christians. I would rather there were 20 people here than the the 700 or so that's going to be here between the services today if all we are is cultural Christians. Guys, if we want to see growth, if we want to see God do something incredible, we need to be all in sold out followers of Jesus Christ. It's not about the next evangelistic program. It's not about how we're going to go door-to-door as a church. Maybe we will someday. But it's not about that. We've got to get this right if we're going to get this right. Are we sold-out followers of Jesus? We need to continue that trajectory of growth and become more like Christ. Let's continue to read. It all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like this? That's the kind of community that we're called into. You know, we, we have this thing called the Deacon Fund at Berean, and we don't talk about it a lot. One of the reasons we don't talk about it a lot is because you keep giving to it anyways, which is good. What do we do with this Deacon Fund? When there's somebody who is one of our people who have a financial need, we step in. Sometimes we give some financial counseling. Sometimes we just write a check. Sometimes we do both. But we help them with that uh, uh, Deacon Fund. This is something that we do. Where did we learn this? We learned this from Acts chapter 2. You know, we might be in a season of having a lot of, of, um, uh, of finances and, and, and financial abilities in our life. Well, somebody, one of our brothers and sisters might be struggling. So what do we do? We give to this fund so it can be distributed to those who are struggling. So two things, two action steps here. Number one, if you're in one of those seasons where you have, you, you have the wealth and things are going great, consider contributing to the deacon fund. You can do that online, and you can just kind of select the deacon fund. You can write it in the subject line of your check. Two, action sec number two. Maybe you're in a time where you are struggling financially, but you've too, been too proud to ask for help. Ask for help. That's what it is there for. Guys, look around the room. Just take a second. Look to your right and your left. Don't be weird about it. Just look real quick. The people you're looking at, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are your brothers and your sisters. We are a family. It's not just a, a fun word to say, Berean family. We are a family. And we are here to care for one another, which also means at times we need to receive care from one another. So I want to challenge you, if you have been in a time of financial struggle right now, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for the help. You can call the church tomorrow. Don't be afraid to ask for help. The church is to learn, care, serve, give together for the good of one another and for the glory of God. It is good to be part of a local church that gets these things. And the church is a gift. The church is a gift to us. The church has been known throughout history. We've had our faults, without a doubt. There have been things that have been done in the name of the church that aren't consistent with Scripture. But as a whole, the church has been known throughout history to give and to serve in the community. It's as simple as that. Look at the Samaritan's Purse. There are so many things. Every time there's a, uh, um, uh, what's the word? Like earthquake, tornado, disaster. Who are the first people there? Christians. When there's a need for foster care, who are the first people there? It's Christians when there's a need to adopt from all over the corners of the world. The first people are there are Christians. Now, I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm saying that the church has been a force in the world since it's forming. And we need to continue on in those trends and doing good for the glory of God. The Spirit indwelt and empowered the church and has been and will be a force to be reckoned with. Before its birth, before the birth of the church, we are told of her victory, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Friends, you are part of the winning team. You are part of the winning team. And that's exciting. That's exciting. But here's the thing. It's like we're the winning team, but Jesus, God, has done all the work. But here's the thing. We get to be a part of it. Not just spectators, but part of it. You know, I've heard people say so many times here, and I'm going to make fun of you, when you're talking about Ohio State football, and don't cheer because you almost got beat by a really bad team yesterday. I hear, we, us. What number are y'all? <laughs> don't be just spectator Christians. Be on the field. Because that's where you're invited to. It is we. It is us. Empowered by God's Holy Spirit together as the church. And this feast, this feast of Pentecost reminds us of these things. And to me, that's super exciting. I'm going to ask the band to come up on the stage and we're going to begin to close. Seasons of waiting, as we talked about at the beginning of this sermon. The Jews waiting to be delivered from captivity. Getting the law, then waiting for the Messiah. Now we're in this season of waiting for the Messiah's return. And I don't have blinders on, church. I see what's going on in the world. I see the evil that is creeping in and growing and becoming more widespread and more accepted. Which tells me something. We are either going to be on the verge of revival or we're becoming closer and closer than ever to the return of Christ. The church also waiting for the return of Jesus. Like the prophets waiting for the Messiah and the forming of the church, we now wait for the church and the Holy Spirit to be removed from this earth in an undoing of Pentecost. Second Thessalonians 2.7 For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains it will do so until He is out of the way. I'm going to read it again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, the lawlessness, will do so until he is out of the way. There will come a time where God will remove his church and his spirit. Are you going to be removed from the church or are you going to be here through a very difficult season without the restraint of the Holy Spirit in this world? While the Jews awaited their Messiah, there were signs of his coming. Throughout the Old Testament, we saw signs of His coming. And I believe that there are now signs that His return, and thus the beginning of a tribulation period, is also coming. Church, are you ready? Many Jews weren't ready for the coming of Messiah, and they missed the signs. Are you ready for His return? Are you seeing the signs? If not, it's time to turn your eyes to Jesus whether it's the first time you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, or you commit again a new way today to follow Him as your Lord. I'm going to pray, and whoever prayed that I would be patient and cause the band to be late coming on the stage, thank you for that. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank You for this day. Thank You, God, for Your Word and how You've woven it together in such a beautiful way. God, as I think about this, it's with joy, it's, it's with celebration that I think about the birth of the church 
in the coming of your Holy Spirit. But there's a little bit of a trepidation. There's a little bit of concern about what is going to transpire once you remove your spirit and you remove your church from this world. God, I pray that there won't be anyone in my family to experience that because they will all have put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior and be with you in glory. God, I pay for everybody in this room that if anybody is here or anybody is watching online that doesn't know you, that today will be the day that they put their faith, their hope, and their trust in you. That they would have the confidence and courage to go to you in prayer, to confess that they are sinners in need of your grace. That they would confess that you sent your son Jesus to come die on the cross for their sins, a penalty for their sins, for our sins. That they would confess that by the power of your Spirit, He rose from the dead, defeating both sin and death. And in doing so, was the first fruit of the resurrection. And that all of us, all of us who have put our faith and hope and trust in you as Lord, will follow suit in the resurrection to come. For those of us, God, who have already put our faith and trust in you, may we follow well, may we follow the path that Peter was on, this upward trajectory of growth, becoming more and more like you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.